Good morning. Let's begin with a poem called, And God Said If, that helps set the scene for today's story about Peter. If you never felt pain, then how would you know I'm a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how could you call, how could you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I am a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you were never in trouble, how would you know that I will come to your rescue? If you were never broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? If you never had any suffering, then how would you know what I went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If your life was perfect, then what would you need God for? Now I invite you to pause and consider that final line for a moment. If your life was perfect, then what would you need God for? This is a message about a failure so shocking that we still talk about it over 2,000 years later. There are really two parts to Peter's story, his threefold denial the night Jesus was arrested and how Christ forgave and restored him. The first part depends wholly on Peter, the second wholly on Jesus. Peter was in charge of his own failure. Christ took charge of restoring him. Behind this story lies a wonderful, liberating, hope-filled truth. Failure is an event, not a destiny. This is good news because we all fail sooner or later. And if we are honest, we all fail over and over again. As Peter's story abundantly proves, it's not our initial failure that ruins us. It's what happens next that matters. Failure doesn't mean that we have blown everything. It means we have some hard lessons to learn. It doesn't mean we are a permanent loser. It means we aren't as smart as we thought we were. It doesn't mean we should give up. It means we need the Lord to show us the next step. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It means that God has a better plan. Only those who have greatly failed will truly appreciate this story. If you have only failed in small things, then you will not be deeply moved. But if you have known the shame of large failure, then listen up. This story is for you. When we have failed, especially when we have failed those we love, our mind becomes a swirl of emotions, embarrassment, anger, fear, shame, and despair. We feel dirty and unworthy because we acted foolishly. When we have hurt someone deeply, 
We want to know if they still love us or have we blown everything. Will they ever forgive me? Can I ever forgive myself? Peter never forgot what happened the night he denied Christ. As long as he lived, he never forgot that terrible night. Tradition says that he would start weeping whenever he heard a rooster crow. Tradition also says that he would wake up every night and pray during the hour when he denied the Lord. So how does Jesus restore his fallen disciple? The answer comes in five stages. First, Jesus sent for Peter. When the women arrived at the tomb early on Easter Sunday morning, an angel announced the good news and instructed them to go and tell his disciples, including Peter. What does that mean? Peter's denial has separated him from the other disciples. No doubt he wondered to himself many times, what am I now? Am I a traitor or am I a disciple? Peter may have failed in the upper room, but Jesus sent for him. Just a few hours earlier, Peter had said, Lord, you will never, ever wash my feet. And then later, he bragged about his courage. He bragged that if everyone else deserted Jesus, he would never desert him. How wrong he was. Under pressure, the bold apostle turned to butter. Peter may have failed when he impulsively cut off the ear of a soldier named Malchus, but Jesus still sent for him. Peter meant well, but his futile attempt to protect Jesus accomplished nothing. Put your sword back into its sheath, Jesus said. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Peter may have failed in the dark of night in the courtyard, but Jesus sent for him. You're not one of that man. Excuse me, that man's disciples, are you? No, I am not. And a second time, you're not one of his disciples, are you? No, I am not. And the third time, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? This time, Peter begins to swear as only a fisherman can swear. I tell you, I don't know that man. And in the distance, a rooster crowed. Moments later, Jesus was brought out from his trial before the high priest Caiaphas. Luke twenty-two sixty-one says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That's when the full impact of his sin hit him. Realizing what he had done, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. But after all that, the risen Christ still sends for him. He doesn't write Peter off as a permanent failure. He doesn't put him in the biggest loser category. Jesus still has plans for Peter, plans to give him hope and a future, plans to give him a second chance. Second, Jesus met with Peter. Where did Peter go after he denied Christ? The answer is we don't know for certain because the Bible doesn't say. But we can surmise that Peter did what most of us do when we have blown it big time. When we've made a huge mistake, the last thing we want is to be around other people, especially the ones who know us best and love us the most. Having let them down, we don't want to see them at all. Why? Because sin separates us from God and God's people. Sin isolates us so the devil can convince us that having made such a stupid mistake... No one wants to be around us again, ever. 
So we spend our hours and our days in a miserable prison of self-imposed solitary confinement. I think that's what happened to Peter that weekend. Wherever he was, he must have felt alone in the world. The last thing we are told is that after Jesus looked at him, Peter wept bitterly. We are not told where Peter was during the crucifixion on Friday or during the burial late that afternoon. We can guess that he retreated to some lonely spot there to replay those awful moments in his mind so he could beat himself up over and over again and ask, why? Why did I do it? What made me think I was so much better than the others? How could I have been so stupid? And what does God think of me? What does Jesus think of me now? We find an answer to that last question in the fact that Jesus made a special appearance to Peter sometime on Easter Sunday. We don't know where or when precisely, nor do we know how long the meeting lasted. But twice the New Testament mentions that the meeting took place. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. I'm especially heartened that Jesus met with Peter before he met with the rest of the disciples. Aren't you glad about that? Jesus not only sends for Peter, he goes to meet him before he meets the others. What amazing grace. There will be no public humiliation. Since Peter denied Christ, things must first be settled between the two of them. With wisdom and with grace, Christ comes after Peter and doesn't wait for him to make the first move. Third, Jesus challenged Peter. Now we come to John 21. It's evening on the Sea of Galilee, not long after Jesus rose from life to life from the grave. Peter and six other disciples have spent the night fishing and end up catching nothing. In the morning, a man calls from the shore, telling them to put their nets on the other side of the boat and they will catch fish. They end up with so many fish, they can't haul in the net because it was so full of fish. When he realizes the man is Jesus, Peter impulsively jumps in the water and begins to swim for the shore. It turns out that Peter and the other disciples caught over 150 fish simply by obeying this word from Jesus. I've often wondered, if Jesus was watching the disciples from the shore all night, why didn't he speak up sooner? Why allow his men to toil for hours in frustration? The answer is, they needed to fail. Failure in this case was the necessary prerequisite to eventual success. If that unidentified man had spoken up sooner, they would doubtless have rejected his advice. What do you know? We're professional fishermen. We know where to find fish. We've spent years fishing in this lake. But let the night pass and the sun come up and they are ready at last to listen to the voice of the Lord. So it is with all of us. The Lord often allows us to fail in our own strength so that we may learn that only by his power will we ever succeed. Microsoft founder Bill Gates said, Success is a lousy teacher. It makes smart people think they can't lose. 
The disciples needed to fail so they could learn to depend on Jesus for their victories. Sometimes it takes shameful failure for us to finally wake up and see our need of Christ. When we read John 21, 1 through 14, we should connect it in our minds with Luke 5, 1 through 11, where Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep and let his nets down for a catch. And despite his doubts, Peter follows Jesus' command and ends up catching so many fish, they filled up two boats. So now we have come full circle. The question is the same on both occasions. Peter, will you obey me even when it makes no sense? It's the same question the Lord asks of us every day. Will we obey even when we think we have a better way? Will we obey even when the way forward seems unclear? Will we obey when our instincts tell us to do something different? Will we obey when we have failed on our own? Fourth, Jesus reinstated Peter. After breakfast was over, Peter and Jesus took a walk together. This is the part of the story most of us know best. Notice how John describes the scene. After breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter and Jesus had this conversation around a charcoal fire. This particular Greek word for charcoal fire is used only in one other place in the New Testament in John 18, 18, to refer to the charcoal fire in the courtyard where Peter denied the Lord. By one fire, Peter says, I don't know him. By another fire, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. By one charcoal fire, Peter denied Christ. By another charcoal fire, he is restored. Several questions come to mind as we read this passage. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? The answer, because Peter had denied him three times. Why did Jesus do this publicly? Because Peter denied Jesus publicly. The other disciples needed to hear Peter openly declare his love for Christ. Without hearing these words, the doubts would linger forever. The man who had been so boastful, so sure of himself, so confident of his own courage, is now thoroughly humbled. Jesus' first question, do you love me more than these, was a subtle reminder of his previous boast to be more loyal than the other disciples. In his reply, Jesus declares his, Peter declares his love for Jesus, but he refuses to compare himself with anyone else. As painful as this was, it was absolutely necessary. Jesus is cleaning the wound so that it might be properly healed. He is getting rid of Peter's guilt and shame by dealing with it openly. Consider what Christ doesn't do. 
He doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. He doesn't humiliate him publicly. He doesn't ask him, are you sorry for what you did? He doesn't make Peter promise to do better. He just asks one question. Do you love me? Once we have hurt someone we love, it's hard to look them in the face. And it's harder still to be questioned about our true commitment. How could you have done that? What were you thinking? Do you even love me at all? But the questions must be asked, and the answers must be given, and they must be repeated if the truth is to be fully told. Peter needed to see the enormity of his sin, and he needed to hear Jesus ask these searching questions. Only then could he grasp the magnitude of Christ's forgiveness. Only then could he be truly restored. Without the pain, he would not get better. Some years ago, I heard this thought, the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. Often, we don't get better because we don't want to face the hard truth about what we've said and done. But until we face the truth about ourselves, we can never be free. There are three qualifications for those who would serve the Lord. The first is love. The second is love. The third is love. First we love, then we serve. First we love, then we speak. First we love, then we lead. Everything we are and everything we do must begin with love. When Christ asks the question the third time, Peter's heart is grieved and he blurts out, Lord, you know everything. With those words, Peter renounces all his self-confidence. On that fateful night in the upper room, he thought he knew himself, but he didn't. Now he's not so sure. He doesn't even trust his own heart. Instead, he trusts in the Lord who knows all things. This is a mighty step forward in Christian growth. It is a great advance to come to the place where we can say with conviction, my trust is in the Lord alone. Sometimes we have to hit bottom and hit it hard before we can say those words. Did it work? Did the painful surgery produce the desired healing? Yes. Peter never denied Christ again. And just a short time later, on the day of Pentecost, fully restored, he stood in the temple courts and preached a mighty gospel sermon to the very people who had crucified Jesus. And 3,000 people were saved that day. The old Peter was gone forever. A new man was born when Jesus restored his fallen disciple. And finally, Jesus re-enlisted Peter. Early church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he said that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. It is remarkable that Jesus skips the rest of Peter's life and concentrates only on how he will die. Although he failed in the past, in the end he will glorify God in his death. In the upper room, Peter had rashly boasted that he was willing to follow Jesus to prison and even to death. It's as if Jesus tells him, you were right about that, more right than you knew. Someday you will have a chance to keep your promise. And I know that in that day, you won't fail. 
The early historians tell us that Peter lived and died faithful to Jesus to the very end. So we come to the end of the message and reflect on this question. What does Christ do with failure? And the answer is, he redeems it. God is able to forget our past, so why can't we? Peter remains a person of great interest to us. We can't get enough of him. We know him well because we see him every morning when we look in the mirror. We like Peter because we can see ourselves in his story. In fact, his story is our story. For all of us, the process of Christian growth is long and painful. With many ups and downs, Peter, the rock, often seemed very unrock-like. It took repeated failure to produce rock-solid character in him, but Jesus never gave up on him. And here's the final irony. From beginning to end, Jesus believed in Peter more than Peter believed in himself. So it will be for all of us. Remember the poem? If your life was perfect, then what would you need God for? The real hero of Peter's story isn't Peter. The real hero is Jesus. That's why John 21 is in the Bible. So that all of us Peter types would know that though we fall again and again, by God's grace we can keep on getting back up. What mercy, what amazing grace. If Jesus did it for Peter, he can do it for me and for you. Pray with me. Holy God, your mercy awaits us when we return to you in meekness and repentance. Cleanse us from selfishness and everything false which separates us from you. And through your love, heal the brokenness in our lives and in our world. Help us to live totally for the one who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.